Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the one time that I had firsthand experience with an earthquake back in the state of Washington where our family is from. It was creepy, it was eerie, and it was scary all at the same time. First, the wind chimes in the neighborhood began to ring out even though there was no wind. Next, all of the tall evergreen trees started to wiggle and wobble, which was really something strange to see. And lastly, the street on which my mom and I were walking down began to shake, and let me tell you, that was quite something. The whole thing probably lasted about 10 seconds or something like that. But I will never forget those details. And one thing that I couldn't possibly have imagined is this. It would have been seeing my mom stand there with outstretched arms saying, Peace, be still, earthquake. Of course, that's impossible for my mom to have done that. Right? That wouldn't have happened. That couldn't have happened. And of course, if that had happened and the earthquake did respond and stop, just like the disciples here at the end of our narrative, I would have been freaked out and terrified as well. But as we read our passage in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41, it, that sort of did happen, didn't it? What my mom would never have been able to do, calm the earthquake with a simple command, that's what Jesus did here on the Sea of Galilee with a couple of short words, isn't it? He silenced the storm. And to my point moments ago, look how the disciples responded at the end. They had great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what do we do with these verses? I would imagine it's a, a fairly familiar passage, right? Sure, we believe them, but how do they connect? What's the takeaway supposed to be when we look at a passage like this? Is it just about Jesus' power over the storm? Or is there something else we should also take with us when we leave these verses later on? What say you? I, I would genuinely be interested to know how we would think to approach a passage like this. Let me say this. Yes, to the first takeaway. We should have a real strong sense of our Lord's power and authority over the storm, calming the wind and the waves with just a couple of words. But remember this in light of that. You are secure through faith in Jesus Christ because he has that supreme power and authority. And because Jesus is Almighty God the Son, He is both willing and able to do everything needed to take care of us and keep us safe. Namely, shelter us with His full power and authority over every creature. And you know what that should do? That should move us to trust Jesus to take good care of us. That should move us to trust Jesus to watch over us and to keep us safe from all of the storms of life with all of their winds and waves and danger as they would threaten to capsize our boats and sink us to the bottom. Jesus, congregation, as sovereign Lord with full power and authority, has all of his people in his hands. The disciples, for a moment, seem to have lost sight of that. May God grant us grace and understanding to always keep that in the forefront of our minds each and every day. If you have the bulletin, you can somewhere see the theme and points there. Very 
nondescript, maybe even a boring theme, but I wanted to capture the simplicity of this passage and narrative. After a busy day, which is the verses leading up to this, Jesus and others encounter a storm. So to see what happened, let's look at two things. Let's look at how things began with this situation, verses 35 to 38. And let's look at how things concluded when the crisis abated or came to a stop in verses 39 to 41. So as things open up, let's look first of all at how things began with this situation. And if you look at the verses with me for a minute, there's a few things to keep in mind here. First of all, in verses 35 to 36, the initial context is established for us, right? That seems to be, to me, on the heels of what we read all the way back in verses 10 and following. And then in verse 37, the immediate urgency of the situation is explained, right? This is a, if it's not life and death, which the disciples certainly seem to think it is, it's, it's a very serious and a very dangerous situation that comes up in verse 37. And then in verse 38, what I would say are the unfounded insecurities of the disciples that are brought to life, right? Why would they say that? Don't you care that we're perishing? I mean, there's a learning curve for them as they go through the gospel and, and our Lord's ministry and are seeing him preach and teach and involved in the things that are happening day to day. But when I first studied this passage, it was a bit of a head scratcher to see them react that way. I was, in a manner of speaking, surprised, again, to see in this context how they had such lack of faith. And maybe it gives some who read it uh, trouble to understand it. If those who are closest to Jesus don't always trust maybe that he has their best interest in view, how can we, some 2,000 years later, think that he will be with us and never forsake us? We'll explore some of that a little bit later. So to the passage, look at verses 35 and 36, and look how verse 35 opens up. On that day, after that busy day leading up to this point, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So chapter 3, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 1 are both interesting background as they involve this sort of Jesus using a boat from time to time for different purposes in his ministry. And then verse 36 gives us a bare-bones narrative of how all of this was arranged. Look what it says. And leaving the crowd... They took him, Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. So what Mark is telling us is all of this trip into the boat to get out onto the Sea of Galilee, it happens rather quickly, and that phrase, just as he was, indicates that Jesus doesn't even have a chance to sort of collect himself and get himself together before they get in the boat and they're on their way. And even here, with this little getaway, after a busy day, go back and read, not right now, but at some point, read chapter 4 up to this point. After a busy day of ministry, Jesus still can't get some real space because it tells us at the end of verse 36, other boats were with him. So maybe we'll pause on that for a, a timeout of sorts. Keep this in mind. One thing we've seen in our sermon series in Mark's gospel is this. Jesus never really had any downtime during his earthly ministry. He was always busy. He was always in demand. He was always expected to be ready when people needed him. He was always a wanted man, and people came from far and wide when they heard he was around to see him and approach him. Even in this passage, where Jesus manages to fall asleep in the boat, that's short-lived. 
Right? And, and here's one key in that connection, beloved. Jesus was fully committed to the ministry that God the Father had given him. And that means this. You can trust him to be your faithful savior at all times, in all things. And even with a seemingly mundane trip out onto the Sea of Galilee, what we have before us testifies to his power and authority as a sovereign savior, as a personal deliverer, and as a compassionate king. So think of these Old Testament passages with me for a minute. You probably know most of them. I would think they're familiar. And hear them this way. Trust in Jesus, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in Jesus with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will guide your paths. Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in Jesus are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so Jesus surrounds his people from this time forth and even forevermore. So Isaiah 53 and that song of the suffering servant, that leads all the way to John chapter 3, verse 16, and the promise of the gospel. That God the Father has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So congregation, as you see the devotion and dedication of Jesus to his ministry of being your savior, rest upon him as your firm foundation. Believe in him as the one who is able and more than sufficient to save you. And know that he promises to go ahead of you no matter what storms arise and to give you peace in those times. Look at verse 37 as we go back to the passage. This is where that circumstance of crisis arises, right? Look what it says. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So the idea here in verse 37 is that this storm comes up almost out of nowhere, sort of a sudden occurrence of the storm. And on the Sea of Galilee, that was pretty common and pretty standard. And all of us here in northwest Iowa, we know how quickly the weather can change and how things weather-wise can sort of be fickle and unpredictable, right? But those details in verse 37 sort of highlight the urgency of how quickly this situation arose. A great windstorm arose, one, waves were breaking into the boat, two, and the boat was already filling up with water, three. In other words, here's the key. This situation is rather quickly becoming very dangerous and indeed, it seems to me, a life and death situation. But here's the important thing to remember. Jesus, he might be asleep at this point, but he's ready to handle anything that might come. He might be asleep, but he's still at the helm. He hasn't lost control of anything. It's just in his humanity as one who is truly the son of God, and yet by way of incarnation, truly and fully human without sin, it's been a long day. Jesus is tired and he needs some rest. We can all relate to that. Our Savior knows that weakness as well. But remember this. Nothing takes Jesus by surprise. Nothing catches Jesus off guard. Nothing is too much for Jesus to manage, whether here in the first century or whether in our own day in the 21st century. So maybe another time out. Let me ask this question. Here in the midst of this sudden storm that seemingly comes out of nowhere, the disciples are 
in a quandary. What are the storms of your life? Are they great? Are they breaking into your boat? Do you feel like things are, are filling up and it's up to your neck or you're in a situation where it's so deep you're just barely treading water? Do you feel like the storms of your life are a matter of life and death, that they pose a real danger? Has there been a, a sudden upheaval that seemingly came out of nowhere? Maybe the storm you're in right now is, is something deeply personal. Maybe the storm you're in the midst of involves your family, a crisis of some sort has arisen. Maybe, maybe for some, marriage is a storm. Maybe for some, children who go astray create a storm in a family context. Maybe for grandparents, to see their grandchildren have struggles is a storm of sorts. Maybe church matters come up from time to time that create storm within the midst of a congregation. Maybe concern for the future of our country. Maybe things at work or your vocation Monday through Saturday is, is stormy. Maybe you wonder what the future is going to hold. Maybe you wonder how the present can find any peace. Maybe there's fallout that you endure from past failings. Maybe it's something else. Maybe a storm that you're facing is, in fact, a self-inflicted wound, and you have no one to blame but yourself. Maybe there's a spiritual battle. Maybe it's a combination of several of these things that sort of swell up and create momentum. One thing is for sure. We all have storms in life. No one is free from them. They're no fun. And sometimes they can be quite a heavy burden. But guess what? Just like this storm, whatever storms we have in our life, those are in God's providence. Those storms are under God's control. And Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. And he says, I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. So congregation, believe that. Remember that. Take shelter in that according to the gospel promise and you will see that even if the storm continues, Jesus will give you peace, even if it's only in measure in the midst of the storm. Look at the passage in verse 38. Look how the disciples respond to this situation. Unfounded insecurities, I would say, and I guess we can understand and sympathize with them, right? None of us are perfect. We don't have perfect faith. We say plenty of things that are that are doubts and plenty of things that reveal shortcomings and insecurities. But it seems to me there's no need for the disciples to have responded this way. Look what they say. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Well, of course Jesus cares. They should know that. And just as an aside, the fact that Jesus was asleep, that's a, a testimony to the reality and genuineness of his humanity. He was like us in every way, yet without sin, all the way down to the point of needing rest and sleep when he was tired. But here's the takeaway. Here's two lessons we can draw from verse 38. One, let me say this. Go to Jesus when you face trouble, and you will find him ready to rescue you. That's lesson one. But here's lesson two. Don't go to Jesus when you face trouble and think that he doesn't care or act like he doesn't care, much less blame him 
for seeming to not care. Let me say it like this. Each of us should take those two lessons. Go to Jesus when we face trouble and know that he will be there for us no matter what. But don't go to Jesus and blame him for the trouble we have or act as though he doesn't care when we face storms of life. Go with those two things and ask God to be taught the wisdom that is from above, that is pure and then peaceable. Go to God in prayer and ask him to bless you with a reminder of his faithfulness and of Jesus and his constancy. And then go to God in prayer and ask him for assurance and for peace and for the firm foundation of his promise to give you stability in the midst of the storm. Those are lessons I need to learn and maybe some of you do too. And God would call us in this passage to hear them and then humbly and patiently act upon them as we trust him in Christ to take care of us. As we continue, let's look at how things concluded in verses 39 to 41. And again, a few things. If you have the Bible open, look at a couple of things here. First of all, in verse 39, Jesus is awake, and he does what the disciples need or request. Then in verse 40, after things have calmed down, Jesus offers up a, a gentle admonishment to the disciples with a couple of questions. And then in verse 41, the last words of the narrative Give us the disciples' point of view with regard to everything that happens here. So look at the passage in verse 39. Here's what we see. At this point, Jesus is completely awake. Right? There's a slight change in verse 38 where they woke him, and then in verse 39 where he is awake. It's as though in verse 38, Jesus is just sort of initially coming out of the out of the sleep that he was in, and, and things are a little foggy for him. But then in verse 39, he's fully awake, fully alert. All of the sleep has been taken out of his eyes, and he sees the situation clearly and is ready to act. And here's the key. Our Lord's actions, once he is fully awake, reveal this. He engages with this storm, at the very least, with verbal warfare as he addresses it and commands it to stop. But I would suggest to you, there's at least the possibility that this is also a situation that involves spiritual warfare. Let me say, Jesus obviously issues the command, a sovereign command to these elements, a sovereign command over these elements of creation, like it says, peace, be still. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And look what it says at the end of verse 39. The wind ceased. And there was a great calm. So what the verse 39 shows us, it, it echoes Genesis chapter 1. In that chapter, God said this, and it was so. And that's the cadence all throughout that chapter in that opening element of creation. Well, now here, as Jesus comes in the process of recreation and ordering all things and setting them right, he says, peace be still, and it was so. So there's a parallel that way with the word and the action that follows. Literally, when Jesus says peace, he calls for silence. And then when he says be still, he tells the storm to be muzzled. And look, it's a rebuke that Jesus offers in verse 39. The New American Standard catches the, the spirit of this by Jesus telling the storm to hush, be still. And one thing that's interesting, if you have your Bible open or just listen, back in chapter 1, verse 25, where Jesus addressed a demon directly, he told that demon to be still. Mark records Jesus here as using that exact same word when he addresses the storm, saying it to be still. 
So there's a verbal parallel for sure, and there's some thematic parallels here as well, that Jesus may be very well rebuking a storm that Satan or his demonic host have brought about. That connection with chapter 1 is strong, and if you look with the Bible open at what's coming in chapter 5, there Jesus confronts a man who is demon-possessed right on the heels of going through this storm on the Sea of Galilee. Either way, though, here's the key. We just saw Jesus and his true humanity before when he was sleeping, but now when he stops the storm with just a word of his mouth, we see our Lord and his full divinity, his sovereign power and authority on display. Those things shine through in this dark storm like a bright ray of, bright ray of light. And all of what Jesus is doing here is a small piece of him putting the puzzle of recreation back together of making all things new, and of bringing order in the midst of chaos. Because here, even in this way, Jesus is stemming the effects of sin on the world. He's pushing back the enemy. He's exercising his sovereign lordship over creaturely elements of wind and water, and maybe even over the devil, his demons, and the hostile host of hell. So let me ask this. Do you trust that Jesus will do the same thing for you if, when, or as the storms of your life arise, storms of trial, storms of spiritual battle, storms of struggle. He is the eternal and only begotten Son of God, right? He walked among us by way of his incarnation. And in that act of becoming man, his divinity was not reduced. He remains fully and truly God. And yet he adds to himself a human nature that is perfectly united to his divine so that he is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man in perfect union here in his earthly ministry. So in that light, here's a promise. Jesus will care for you. Jesus will defend you. Jesus will protect you. And Jesus will fulfill his word and God's plan for your life. Maybe the storms of life won't cease like they did for the disciples here on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe things won't always be completely calm for us. But Jesus will give us peace in the midst of the storm, even if that's only in small measure. Believe that, congregation. Know that it's true. Remember that it's true. And then live as you look to the future with that confidence and courage that God's promises in Christ provide. Go with that confidence, go with that encouragement, and have no doubt that even if the storms rage around you, Christ will be with you and watch over you. Let's go back to the passage in verse 40. Once the, the storm, the liquid dust, as it were, settles down and the storm disappears, Jesus gently admonishes the disciples, doesn't he? Two questions are short and to the point. The first one is present tense. Why are you so afraid? The second one is an opportunity for them to evaluate themselves. Have you still no faith? So let me ask this and think here with me. I don't want to come down too hard on the disciples because we're all less than they are, right? But think with me. Should those in the boat with Jesus have been afraid? Did they really think they were going to perish? 
that Jesus was going to stand by and do nothing while they all drowned? And shouldn't everything they have seen in Mark chapters 1 through 4, all of the miracles, all of the ministry, all of the compassion, all of the sovereign authority that Jesus has already displayed, shouldn't they have seen that and then been given confidence here? All of what Jesus has shown them are displays of his righteousness and faithfulness. And you know what that should have done? It should have strengthened their faith and it should have quieted their questions. But sadly, at least on this occasion, it didn't do either one, did it? But I wonder about us. How about you? How about me? How do we respond in trials? When things are distressing, what is our first impulse? Do we respond and say, Lord, don't you care that I'm in trouble? Don't you care that I'm facing danger? Don't you care that I feel like I'm going to perish? I mean, maybe we doubt. After all, true faith is imperfect faith. But by God's grace, let's let, let's let doubt fade. And in its place, how about trust that stands firm? How about rest that reigns supreme? How about full assurance in the faithfulness of Christ and his promises is what we have? Because you know what? And we'll close out this way. I would suggest to you that those things of trust, rest, and full assurance, at least on this occasion, those are lacking from the disciples, aren't they? Look at verse 41. They were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Something similar comes up in chapter 5 as well. In other words, the power and authority that Jesus displays, that intimidates them. And they respond with fear rather than faith. It's interesting. It's a bit sad. But it's an opportunity for us to reflect and for us to glean from this passage. Now they fear in a greater way Jesus than they did the storm when it arose. But that fear is misdirected because it's not the fear of reverence, it's a fear of cowering. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? A better response, one we hope that God would give us in the midst of the storms of life, is this. A fear that's reverential. A fear that's devotional a fear that trusts, a fear that worships, a fear that adores, a fear that provides respect and love for God even when things seem like they're unraveling. Jesus silences our storms. And when he does, let us respond with faith, let us respond with comfort, and let us respond by going into the days that lie ahead, knowing that without any doubt, he will continue to bless us and be with us, just as he has promised. Amen. Well, let's pray.